You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. In a world where podcasters talk about the same old pop culture topics, two heroes must rise to bring forth a new era of podcast entertainment. The Cigar Nerds Podcast. Movie reviews, pop culture debates, news, science, and even beer reviews. We're stranger than stranger things and funnier than an evil sewer clown. CigarNerdPodcast.com We all smoke down here, Georgie. And welcome again to the Monster Sci-Fi Show Podcast. I am your host, The Monster, back to give you a very, very, very special podcast. How special is this podcast? Very. Basically, I found, or at least I found again, my old disc of my very first episode zero of the Monster Sci-Fi Show podcast. So, when you listen to the podcast, this is going back to July 15th, 2006. So, if you do your math, come July, it will be 12 years old since my first podcast, which is about as old as my son will be. So, you'll hear a younger version of me but still basically doing the stuff that I'm doing right now. As you will hear, I'm explaining as to how my ideas came together about doing the podcast, and then I actually do a podcast. So I do have a big three sci-fi news items, or big three sci-fi items that I do talk about, plus I do a very big trio conversation with my wife and Mr. Gene, and we're talking about our top 10 villains of all time. Now, just to give you a heads up, the quality is okay, not great, but it's okay. Two, it cuts off at the very end with Mr. Gene talking. But we're close to the very end anyway, so from what I remember, I think maybe another five or 10 minutes left on the podcast, but honestly, I don't remember any more other than what you're going to be hearing today. So I do apologize, but again, I was lucky enough to able to recover this much. So now, come with me back in time, 12 years ago. Take it away, me. Who else?
listening to the Monster Sci-Fi Show Podcast, hosted by your very own monster. Hi, everyone. This is my very first podcast, and I decided to finally do this while I'm still in school working my master's for uh, my MBA in marketing. And I've been wanting to do something in this genre of science fiction for a very long time. Um, I'm very passionate about the genre. I've grown up since 1977 with the very first, of course, Star Wars movie, Episode 3, uh, listening to soundtracks, reading Starlog magazines, Cinescapes, Sim Fantastic, um, reading the next-gen novels, Voyager, DS9, and just really embracing everything that there is about the genre that's out there. So, finally, it has come to the point that I need to put all this knowledge into good use somehow, and for you to kind of benefit from what I've learned, and in turn, I want to learn from you. I want to know what you like to, to read, what you like to listen to, uh, what is the latest thing you saw on DVD or in the movies. Uh, so right now, even though I'm kind of winding down almost with school, I haven't been really actively watching as much as I should be, and I'm trying to do a lot of catch-up uh, in, in my field, so to speak, because I really want to be as knowledgeable about what I really had loved uh, you know, growing up. But unfortunately, you know, with responsibility, does not come great with power, but it does come with a family, which right now um, I just had a brand new baby son who was just born uh, just about three weeks ago from today. So I've been uh, very sleepless, to say the least, uh, in this past couple of weeks. But nonetheless, I've been thinking about what it is I wanted to do as far as content-wise, and definitely I want to talk about upcoming um, sci-fi events or related topics that I think really would be kind of set us this show different from other shows because other shows do specific shows which are, are great and I like for example I love the uh, the uh, the combat uh, information center which is nothing but Battlestar Galactica and the commentary is for every week there's a new uh, commentary on that episode which is great but the problem lies is that if the show is over which is currently right now then we kind of have to wait until October to see the episode so I thought I wanted to I do want to talk about Battlestar Galactica which is one of my all time favorites and I will get into a little bit more of a topic later on in this podcast um, specifically I want to uh, do a little piece on Bear McCreary who is the composer um, right now he does have a new CD for season 2 coming out or actually should be coming out right now and which I'm going to talk about from an interview in the Battlestar Galactica magazine which I really like reading what he thinks about what is it that he does for the show and really interesting concept that I liked about how he puts the music together so I'm going to talk about that as well as play a clip of his music so you get an idea of what is it that I'm really uh, happy about his music and for why it really doesn't fit sci-fi but it works really well in Battlestar Galactica other news I'm going to talk about is going to be a couple of things on Star Trek that's coming up not necessarily new Star Trek material, but just Star Trek-related things that I think you might be interested to uh, keep an eye out for, as well as I'm going to talk about the um, Transformers, which it's going to be actually less than a year from now, uh, but I saw the trailer, and I want to talk about that in a little bit, and a little bit more of the history, and what I thought about that, and so forth, and after that, 
we're going to delve into the main topic of this podcast, which is I was watching Bravo, and they did a top ten, actually top twenty of heroes and villains and vixens, and I thought that might be a good topic to talk about. So I invited my friend Jean, who I've known just as long as I know my wife, and we all work together, and decided to do our version, but just do a top ten of just villains, heroes, uh, and compare that with Bravo. So we talked about that at great length. So it's about almost a lot hour long. So just be prepared that it's going to be pretty lengthy. But I think what's great about that is that we do have really good ideas of what heroes and villains should be as far as our definitions would be and have really good characters that match up to those definitions. So I definitely want you to let me know what you think of that in the show, of course, overall. Uh, as far as content or what needs to be improved or what you'd like. But any information, if you want to just send me a quick email, you can send it to Monster Sci-Fi Show at gmail.com so any questions comments please let me know so i'm going to take a quick little break and then i'm going to start going into star trek and star wars oh sorry star trek and transformers and then also talk about beer mccurry okay i'll be right back thanks I'm going to discuss uh, one of my favorite subjects, which is, of course, Star Trek. But unfortunately, as many of us know, that Star Trek, unfortunately, is no longer on the air, which is unfortunate, but I think the rest is quite uh, needed for this series. Um, I do want to do a really good Star Trek analysis, plus other things that have been going on, but just some brief information that I want to touch upon. Since, of course, Enterprise, the last series, was canceled, and also the last Star Trek movie, Nemesis, really didn't do all that well in the box office, they figured in Paramount Studios was to give it a break and go ahead and look at options later on down the road. Now, lo and behold, J.J. Abrams, who is the creator of Alias which I have started recently. Uh, I'm up to season four and on all the DVDs, so I have another podcast altogether. Lost is another great series that he's also created, which I have not seen, but since it's on DVD, I'm going to try to catch up on that as well. Uh, but I did purposely want to see the latest Mission Impossible 3 movie with Tom Cruise. Not because I'm a big Tom Cruise fan, but because I wanted to see how J.J. Abrams handled himself as far as in a big... Uh, big picture screen uh, sense and he did a great job um, and I thought that since we already found out and of course uh, before the release of the movie that he was going to produce and, and direct a new Star Trek series or a new movie <clears throat> the the concept so far that's going around is going to back is going to be the the old star date the star date the Starfleet Academy days uh, and of course you know, everyone wants to see that happen. They want to see a younger version of Kirk and Spock and McCoy. So it, it's giving what the fans want. And I think given what J.J. Abrams has done so far, 
I think he probably will be the best candidate to regenerate the series as a whole. And the latest news that I heard so far was that Matt Damon, uh, as all people, is going to be might be the, the new Captain Kirk. Uh, supposedly, uh, William Shatner has given his blessing uh, for Damon to take over the role of Shatner. So I'm kind of curious if this is going to be officially what's going to happen in the future for us as far as seeing a new uh, Captain Kirk. Who knows? But on that note, uh, I did find something that was really great. and um, I'm a big fan of Comedy Central, and I love their celebrity roast. And coming up on August 20th at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, William Shatner is going to get the, uh, the dubious award of being ripped apart and shredded like to no one's business. So um, I really think it's going to be a lot of fun to see, you know, and poke fun at him. And, I, you know, he does, uh, to my opinion, does not really take himself too seriously uh, in regards to what he has done as far as his body of work. But I think that considering... He's ripe for material, uh, since we love to make fun of him and his ever-popular, ever you know, get-a-life quote that he threw back at the fans. And I think it's about time that the fans got back at him, so to speak. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun to, uh, to see coming up in August. The other thing that I noticed, uh, and this is something that, you know, as a collector... I love collecting toys and posters and, and games and books and all that, but, you know, I'm a one big pack rat, and I really don't have room to have any more stuff, especially since now I have, you know, one of my uh, rooms, or this is now going to be my son's room, uh, as well as my daughter. Uh, I have no more room for stuff, so I really can't afford this. But had I had the room, I, I would have loved to go to New York. Uh, coming up on the... Uh, I think it's going to be what, October 5th, 6th, and 7th in New York. Christie's, the auction house, is going to do a 40 years of Star Trek, the collection, which they're going to auction off items, actual props, um, and as well as uniforms of all the Star Trek series that they've had as far as their their history. And I really would love to be there. Uh, but the best I can do right now is just go to their website at christie's.com <coughs> christie's.com forward slash special under slash sites forward slash Star Trek uh, and that's going to give you at least information as to what items they're going to have available to be sold like for example uh, there's a Star Trek Voyager uh, purple jumpsuit that Seven of Nine had worn which I know a couple of <laughs> fans I should say would jump at a chance to buy this just because it's seven of nine's uniform, but we're looking at about anywhere from price range about two to three thousand dollars estimated for the price on that. So that's way out of my price uh, range, but nonetheless, I'm sure it's going to fetch a good price for that just because. Nothing a little bit closer to my budget would be the Star Trek Generation um, Encounter at Farpoint uh, screenplay that's going to have a lot more information as far as the shooting scripts and I think it's really well worth it but again we're looking on the fire side about three to five hundred dollars that is what's to fetch but nonetheless I think <coughs> any collector would not be would miss to miss this event basically because I think having to be you know an owner of the original props no collector would do without this the other thing is that you can do a pre-order of catalogs 
which unfortunately um, it's pretty expensive considering but there's a two volume set that's going for about $90 and then there's a special limited box set that's going for $500 so who knows I mean I do have a birthday coming up and I might just afford just a two volume uh, catalog set so honey my wife love my life a birthday's coming out, so I figured, hey, I'm going to drop you a suggestion. Since you're not sure what to get me, hint, hint. Okay, I'm going to move on to the Transformers. Um, I've been kind of keeping an eye on more information as it comes out. The other day, I watched the trailer of the Transformers, in which it starts off with... A rocket or uh, a space mission is going to Mars, in which a rover is deployed on Mars, scours for life, and through its point of view, something hovers over it or comes over it and knocks it over, and seems to be some kind of life form or some kind of robotic life form, which anyone who's really followed the series of Transformers all the way back, you know, from the early 80s, would realize that they didn't come from Mars. You know, the Decepticons and Autobots did not come from Mars. They came from Cybertron. But, you know, right before I was, I was doing this uh, podcast, I was really happy to find out that Michael Bay noted in his website, michaelbay.com, that he is not going to use the footage of Mars and the, any shots that are in that trailer are not going to be in the movie. So that's a big... <laughs> uh, relief because I, I really want to see Transformers do well. I'm not sure about the concept of seeing you know live action in, in our setting and see how it could be pulled off. Animation wise, I think the series on TV as well as the Transformers the movie was great, but making it to a, now a full movie production. I'll, I'll give it a, you know, a chance. I really want to see this done because, again, having grown up on Transformers, I really want to see you know the big screen treatment given to that. The one thing that I did find out uh, what's going to happen to one of the characters, um, for anyone who's a big fan, Bumblebee used to be a Volkswagen, and I'm not sure for whatever reason that the Volkswagen Beetle did not want to be associated with the Transformers, but he is now going to be transformed into a 2008-2009 Camaro. So that's going to be kind of interesting news. Um, there is some uh, a link that, unfortunately, I don't have a website yet, so um, I do apologize. But if you go to leftlanenews.com forward slash 2006 forward slash 05 forward slash 31, forward slash, and then and it's going to be new Chevy Camaro to star Transformer movie. And each word is going to be, we'll have a hyphen in between. If you go to that link, you'll see the actual pictures of the car they're going to be doing for Bumblebee, which is kind of cool. Um, so I'm kind of curious how that's going to all transform. Um, so to speak, with the Transformers. The other thing, of course, is that Optimus Prime is going to be a fire truck, and Starscream, one of the Decepticons, is going to be an F fifty, uh, sorry, F twenty two Raptor. So I'm really kind of curious as to how they're going to kind of give this more of an updated feeling to a lot of the characters that we've known back all the way in the eighties. Um, 
the one thing that I liked about the series was they had the main characters, but they spawned off like Decepticons. Uh, they had Destructicons, and the Autobots had Dinobots. Dinobots were my favorite out of the lot, and my favorite out of the Dinobots, which is a lot of people's favorites, is Grimlock. Grimlock was a T-Rex, a robotic T-Rex, who used to talk like this. Me, Grimlock, leader of the auto, you know, Dinobots. So I, I just loved him so much that actually when um, the series came out, I was playing football. I would have that as my uh, call sign on my back of my shirt. So every time you know I would talk about like Grim, like Grimlock in, during the series, they were playing football. It just make everyone laugh. But I just love Grimlock. I mean, he's kind of dopey and stupid, but I just love the character so much, more so than Optimus Prime. But enough of that. So uh, we talked about Star Trek. We talked about Transformers. The other segment I wanted to talk about. Uh, before we go into the uh, Bravo list and the uh, top ten villains and uh, heroes list, was uh, Barry uh, Bear McCreary, who again, who was the composer for the uh, Battlestar Galactica series. And what I really liked about hearing his music, as far as the series wise, was that, as I mentioned before, it's different. It's not the traditional orchestral music, but it's more rhythmic, more tribal, more grounded, uh, in a sense that it's, and the best way he described it was that since it's more like an earth heritage, that he used music from different parts of the world and combined it all together. So like he said, and this is a quote from him, the idea was to take instruments from all over the world and combine them together in a way that had never been done before to create otherworldly feel. My philosophy has always felt that Earth's heritage is somehow connected to the show, and it makes sense that the ancient music from our world would have a relationship with the music in their world, meaning Battlestar Galactica. Uh, this idea goes back from the miniseries from the original concept by Michael Reimer, the director, and who worked it with Richard Gibbs, the composer of the miniseries, and of course himself, which um, uh, McCreary joined on after the miniseries, I believe, uh, as an assistant to Richard Gibbs, and even though when the series got green-lighted after the miniseries for now a full uh, season, Gibbs stayed out for a couple of seasons, a couple of episodes to do the scoring, but love to pursue uh, more work in the movie field industry. So, which left this opening for Bear McCurry to kind of move up. And he kept a lot of those themes and a lot of the concepts throughout the whole season. So, I haven't heard too much of season two uh, as far as soundtrack wise. I do know that the new release is coming out, I think, within this month. Uh, but from what I expect of him, is the continuation of this type of music which you might be hearing right now in the background of it really has a really deep feeling as far as beats that you don't even need to watch visually the actual uh, program but you can actually feel the motions you can feel the drama as the way the music is being played out the other thing that I liked about them is that just like with composers like John Williams which is 
one of my all-time fans. I mean, he was, I mean, for growing up, as being eight years old, no, was it eight? No, I was ten when Star Wars came out. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm blanking out here. Um, and I bought my first album. You know, not the CD like everyone knows now, but an actual album. You know, it was a 33 and a third album when I played it on my record player. And Star Wars was my very first album. And to me, that was... It's hard to say, you know, growing up in the Bronx, listen to a soundtrack when all of the kids really were into soundtracks. For me, I just felt that was my part to be part of the genre is to understand that music because there's a passion behind it and I can relive all those moments that I saw on the screen through each musical cue without having to watch the movie because back then we didn't have VCRs we didn't have DVD players if I wanted to see the movie again I had to puck my money down and watch it on the screen again but I knew the cues I knew where they were in the movie so visually I saw this all in my head through the music and I understand what the pieces meant as far as how you know each character is giving a certain uh, motif as well as how it plays out in a progression and like an evolution how it goes from one moment to the next and you can hear you know their sadness or you can hear their happiness or you can feel their struggle but the same themes are there but just played a different way so and McCurry kind of does the exact same thing for example he says in Boomer's theme uh, usually there's an Indochine uh, I'm mispronounced but it's called Gamlin uh, which is Islephone on Gong and heard in Hilo Rescue Boomers Flees and Two Boomers and then Adama does it the Adama family he has uh, an Irish whistle or bagpipe heard in uh, Wandering what's our Wanderer my friend Wanderer my friends and a good lighter uh, and then the silence theme is, he notes it as a two-bond throat singing and it's heard in the Hilo Chase and the hill in the warehouse. So I haven't decided as to exactly, you know, where to go from here because I am again I'm kind of new to exploring the concept rather than saying I like this piece for that reason. I like I want to understand, you know, even more so why, you know, things are this are chosen, why this place in the screen, you know, how to you know how this something as abstract as music gets applied to film so I, I do want to continue this in other podcasts and kind of learn us along the way as well as, as you telling me what I should look out for because um, I remember um, an interview with Danny Elfman uh, talking about with the planet of the Ames that when he watched the film he had an idea of what the music would be and how if his concept did not match the idea of the director then his concept was wrong he should have the same kind of vision as the director as to what he wanted to say hence why you know Danny Elfman has been Tim Burton's number one composer for most of his films if not all of them so I think he's on par of understanding what he expects his music to, to complement the actual images so and again I even though TV is a much smaller medium it's still a screen nonetheless and I don't think enough people really appreciate the, the fact that you have this aspect other than you know good writing which I'm a good fan of that special effects also a great fan of that 
you know, good storytelling, but also the but music also is a great component. And if you just listen to the music, it says so much more than what you can see visually, and or at least underscores the importance of that scene. So, and I hope you're going to enjoy this little piece that's going to continue for a little bit, and then we're going to go ahead and jump into the top ten list, the heroes and villains. And I hope you enjoy this piece of music from Bear McCrary, Battlestar Galactica. everyone thank you very much for continuing with our podcast we're going to talk about the bravo list that was recently aired on cable for the heroes villains and vixens which they did a top 20 in each category what we're going to do is just compare our top 10 of heroes and villains uh, to the bravo list so we're going to just see what their versions are versus our list and i want to introduce to uh, my left, which you can't see, which is ironic. Uh, my wife. Wait, that's my other left. No, I'm not no, right. it's not my left. My friend Jean was to my left, which of course you can see on the podcast. And who's not his wife? That's wife. No, right. My wife is over here on my right, which again you can't see on the podcast, but nonetheless she's right there next to me. So right. on my right, exactly. So I thought um, to start off before we do the list to have a prediction as to what we're going to say as far as our characters that we like, both villains and heroes. And I'm only saying that just because we've known each other for, I don't know, since 1993, working together at Borders. So <laughs> we've gotten to know each other's taste quite well enough that we can safely say, I know what he's going to say, I know what she's going to say, and vice versa. So um, I'm going to give this moment now to Gene. I want him to tell... Uh, you, the audience, the, what he thinks that I'm going to say as far as my picks for a hero and a villain, as well as my wife, Jen. So, take mm. it away. I don't know. Monty, let's see. I, I Knowing of your interest, I think I predict you would say something probably Star Trek-y. 
I don't know. Yeah, that's a given. I would say <laughs> you'd probably say perhaps the Borg Queen or the Borg Collective. Okay. That's my random guess. Okay. We haven't discussed this before. Okay. So the Borg Queen, okay. And then, I don't know, let's see. Uh, Hufflepuffs? So they, no, they don't count. <laughs> Well, maybe as a villain they would, but... Hufflepuffs were not villains. <laughs> the Woozles were villains. The Woozles are villains. That's um, true. Let's see. Well, let's see. Tufflumps were just our pawns. I don't know. Uh, I'm an enigma. Tooth decay. Would you... No, okay. No, we're not talking about cavity creeps. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's <laughs> what their name was. I forgot. Those are natural forces of evil. I used to love that uh, part of the comic strip. I don't know, I'll guess, I'll guess. Yeah, I don't think you'd be, because even though we're friends and we've known each other a lot longer than we've actually known Monty, <laughs> since you knew my brother, I knew your whole, I know your whole family and vice versa. Um, I don't think you'd be able to guess anything I don't, I don't I think I, can, I don't think no. I'm going to do it, I don't Because no. I tend to go into fairy tales and classical characters too. Which well, count? that kind of defeats the purpose then. All right, so let's so, move, move on. on. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Okay. So, Jennifer, my lovely wife. Oh, thank you. To my right. I like that adjective. Thank you. To my right? I resemble that. Oh, thank you. All right. What uh, hero or villain do you think Gene's going to say in his list? Yeah, try me. Um, Well, Superman, for one thing. Okay. Yeah. And what else? Probably Batman. Batman. Okay. Anything for a villain or? Um, Villain... No, because we're having a lot of problems with the villains cause yes. we have, because we have very high criteria for villains. Yes. Okay. Um, this is what I picked out for you, my wife, mm. to my right. <laughs> As we have established, <laughs> thank you. Uh, definitely a hero. I, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to pick a woman. Not to say that that's a bad thing, but I'm sure the woman... Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm just saying because the Bravo list, if anyone has not seen it, uh, had very little women heroes in their list, which I was very surprised by that, as well as in villains. They did not have women characters. So only in the vixen part did they have that, but I just thought they should also be heroes. So mm-hmm. my thing, I would probably say you would pick perhaps Xena or Wonder Woman as part of your heroes. And also in that tradition for now villains, I'm thinking uh, probably uh, Kalista, just because I thought she was a great villain and I'm pretty sure that you probably will say that in the, the course of this conversation so okay that's really scary because you're right okay. however um, <laughs> I did put them in, together. in my sense. top 20 list but for my top 10 list I shortened it down and those two are not listed okay this time okay well we'll compare the notes okay um, so on. moving on but I didn't get to choose pick yours oh see what you have I'm sorry that's, ha ha hmm. I am so sorry of course you are Anyway. I know. Sorry looking. But um All right. So what am I gonna pick? Oh, I don't know. Oh but I just say you, you didn't choose. <laughs> like I said, we're moving on. Okay. Moving All right. Forward. Okay, Bravo. So- I'm gonna start off with their top ten. Uh, for the villain. Let's start there. Okay. They had Doctor Octopus or Doc Ock as their number ten choice. Okay. And I thought this was a pretty good move because they did show clips from Spider-Man 2, which I thought was probably the best uh, superhero movie, and I thought the villain was excellent. Um, so I want to see now what was our top ten and relation to a villain. Well, I, I think that villains, personally, are they're, they're complex. Mm-hmm. You know, The idea that I had for a criteria of a villain is someone who is knowledgeable or insane, 
but intelligent and should know better. You know, um, I, I had a very wide field for my villains. Okay. Okay. Um, the the, the uh, criteria in my mind was that villains have to be able to affect the world in a grand manner, change the world or their world around them. Okay. Okay. So, uh, well, should I tell my top ten? Uh, my well, well, give us your your top. Uh, my top ten villain. Okay. okay. Was uh, it was Proteus Four from Demon Seed, written by Dean Koontz. Okay. This is basically a computer that is that has its own artificial intelligence that develops and evolves, and uh, actually tries to change the world by reproducing with a human female. Traps her in the house, and that to me was sheer evil. I mean, strange. Oh, is that what they based that movie on? Wasn't there a movie Demon Seed? Yeah, or that's what it's based on. Oh, book okay. First. <laughs> okay. That's my number ten okay. villain. So, Jen, how do you define your villain? What parts are my, my villains are? I don't particularly account for the, the psychoticness of it all, because the way I see it is, if you're psychotic, then you technically don't really know what you're doing. So, um, the way I see the evil as the villains is that the villains have to know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, they agree with what they're doing, they're happy with what they're doing, and they are consistently evil. It's not just like a one-time deal. Like, I know the Doomsday was very te- terrible, but Doomsday was a, basically a one-hit wonder kind of thing, you know? They destroyed him later. But okay. some of the ones that are consistent and they cannot be destroyed, they, they spread and they grow, you know, it's like a, like a mildew. Okay. Well, anyway, you can't get rid of it. Hmm? You have to be intelligent about intelligent. intelligent about. Yeah, exactly, because they know what they're doing. And that's why I don't I don't buy into the psychotic criteria of it all. I mean, I do have some psychos in my list, but you know, they're not like the top ones. Okay. So, and that's why it was very, very, very hard for me. I had a really hard time. I mean, I didn't have a hard time making the top twenty, but when I had to like you know switch it down to ten. It made it a lot harder for me. Okay, so who did you pick for your t- yeah, number 10? For number 10, it's kind of weird because I don't really know a name. Is um, I put down the first from Buffy because they're like the evil from... like It was from basically the last real major evil from the Hellmouth before, you know... It, it was the last few... Um, I guess the last season of Buffy and they're the ones who kept showing up as other people. How they would take the form of their friends, take the form of their enemy, take the form that's kind of like messed, totally screwed them up. Okay. And that's why I refer to it as like the first, because I think that's what they were, the first. That's what they refer to themselves as. Okay. All right. Um, for my top ten, uh, my top <clears throat> ten uh, villain, it's kind of a mixed bag because I thought villains would also be something like what Gene said, have a single purpose and and yet be kind of effective in what they're carrying out as far as their mission. Because there is sometimes that a villain would have a grandiose idea of what he wants to do, but fails to deliver in the execution in the end, which a lot of the times the hero foils anyway, but you want to get to the point that's close enough that they could almost win over the hero. So my number 10 choice is actually from Terminator 2, the T-1000 uh, simply because it was able to actually go ahead and do what it was set out to do was to find uh, Connor as well as take on the T-800 and was on par of almost winning if it wasn't for the fact that at the very end he got melted down with everything else as far as the, uh, the, the very last scene but I just thought that no matter what, he could not be stopped. Even though he was blown up, he can 
he just kept coming after you no matter what and I thought that was a really good villain that that just having that fear of they're always going to be after you and you, no, no matter where you're going to go they're always going to be there they will follow you no matter where so I thought that was a really good effective at least for me a good villain that I, I liked that, that's interesting because I picked I picked the Terminators as my number nine because the the idea that if Terminators exist mm-hmm. it's against mankind it's computer AI versus technology versus people right but we're talking about the T1 the first one no? I've just said Terminator I, I'm thinking about oh, the first one okay. I am thinking about the first one because ex- the existence of that in our world or our fictional world our imagina- imagination world the existence of that is it's, 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 it's evil it's not human it's not towards the benefit of mankind mm-hmm. therefore the existence of that is a threat to us so therefore that's my number nine okay actually I didn't like the idea of having Terminators in there at all because I did add them into my top 20 as for our top 10 I didn't really discount them because um, basically besides the whole point <laughs> that was our cat if you heard her um, the whole point was the fact that they were following orders one purpose, one thing only. That was it. Once they did it, they were gone. Period. But they the, didn't care about continuing the evil to continue the the reign of terror, so to speak, because they weren't interested in a reign of terror. They were there for one purpose only. Once they continued that purpose, that was it. And in fact, to tell you the truth, if everybody got out of their way, they wouldn't have killed anybody except for her. That was the whole point. No, of it all. but the the idea behind the Terminator film was that they send the 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 T eight hundred back. To, to stop the, the birth of John Connor, who becomes yeah, the rebel leader. Exactly. But right? the thing is, is that the um, Terminator itself was not the ultimate evil. It was Skynet. I, I agree. I understand that. But what, I, what I'm saying is, using okay, we're, we're going to semantics here. <laughs> the fact that the, that, that the Terminator gets sent back into time, the core of that is Skynet and the computer AI intelligence. It was created by man, but then it became intelligent on its own. So that's the villain that we see in, yeah. in, in, in our right, in the end, today. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to number nine. Bravo had Doctor Doom as their number nine choice, but it's not the Doctor Doom that I thought would be from the comics, which I thought the comic book villain itself was great, but they're doing Doctor Doom from Fantastic Four, which after watching it, even though I did like the movie, I just did not care for how Doctor Doom was portrayed as far as his villainy, because it just was almost too campy it was just it wasn't really on par with the Fantastic Four themselves so then they had to use somebody who was cute you know? oh, they wow. couldn't do uh, and that's the thing see there's always like the whole thing with the ugly villain the good villain things like that you know it's like they create a villain that is pretty you know which also makes it all a little more villainous if you think about it because you know then you're going to trust the pretty ones that's how Ted Bundy got all the girls because he was pretty and he, you know, that, that's what was a really terrible point of it all. Okay. You know, like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. That's a good point. That's an excellent point. Because it's the beast that is the one that has the beauty inside, whereas the one the beauty outside is the beast inside. So that's a good uh, good example. I'm very impressed with that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, since Jean went last time, let's go with you, with your number nine. For villains still? For the wolf villains, yeah. Um, Syndrome from The Incredibles. I know it sounds kind of cheesy because it's a cartoon, but the reason why I chose Syndrome is because he was consistently evil. I mean, he was a jerk as a child anyway. You could tell he had some problems, but then as an adult, you could see he had, like, serious issues. And the thing is, it wasn't so much of the fact that he was solely going after Mr. Incredible, who I think was his ultimate 
goal to kill him and to get him, but he destroyed just about every other single super out there. Mm-hmm. And he hunted them down and destroyed them, just like Anakin did in, in as Darth Vader. He literally went after each and every one of them. As, you know, in, in, his, in his own way, you know, making them think that um, they were doing a good thing by, you know, destroying the, destroying whatever it was, you know, this terrible machine or whatever, whatever, you know, playing off of their vanity, that they, playing off of their, um, I don't know what it was. Because, you know, like, they lost everything when they had to stop being super. So they had to be back to their normal selves. And a lot of them, I'm sure, felt lost like that. And he made them feel good being back to being supers. He messed with their emotions. He messed with their pride. And in the, and he killed them all. Okay. So that's one. Of the, that's why I chose Syndrome. Okay. Um, the one thing that I, I thought it was not kind of interesting, that he was spurned by Mr. Incredible mm-hmm. uh, because he was, was kept getting in the way of trying to be his sidekick for Mr. Incredible. And I just think that I don't think he was truly evil to begin with. It was just situations that made him turn to that, such as, like you said, with Anakin, in which certain events led him down that path, so to speak, before he became evil itself. So to me, it's it's almost like he's misguided, but he channeled all that energy the right, the wrong way for the right reasons or some sort of wrong reasons. So I just thought he was almost a, a sad story itself because it kind of reminds me of uh, Macbeth who is really a villain in his story but because he believes in the prophecy that he's going to be the king one day and he has to kill people to be there he's really going down a path that he's going to die ultimately in the end so it's a good man that's gone to do the wrong things at the end so so let's go with uh, your number nine Jim. my number I give my number nine Oh, I'm sorry, that's right, because no, we're, talking right. T- right. we're talking about T-800. Segway into your thing. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. So my number eight. Well, before I do that, okay, go let ahead. me go with uh, number sorry. nine from mine, which Gene kind of touched on. It's the Borg Queen. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought, well, I, he knows me well enough that, yes, I would have picked her. Um, at first, she wasn't going to be in my top ten at all, uh, just because... Kind of like what we're talking about, she has a single-mindedness, but I don't think of her as truly evil in a sense because she has a lot of good points from her point of view that, you know, she's bringing an order to the galaxy or to the universe itself, and she's justified. So she's not really evil in that sense, but there are certain things about losing your identity, that this whole one way of thinking, it's the whole poor collective that I find scary that we can actually become that but have one person be in charge of all of that information, I think that in itself is what's scary being as a villain, that you have someone controlling all that information. So that's who is my uh, number nine for there. So before we go into your number eight... Um, I just kind of wonder about the whole Borg Queen thing. Does that mean there's a queen in every single ship? And like, does the Borg Queen have to kill the other ones before she can reign again? <laughs> like the way real bees do? Well, the... Uh, for some reason, it seemed to me like there was an, an essence of the Borg Queen. No matter where she was, if she, the ship was destroyed or she was, you know, melted away, somehow she her essence was saved and she popped up again. Which, ironically, yeah, is, she was cloned. I thought about that as well, but you know what? In Battlestar Galactica, the, the the new series on Sci-Fi Channel, there's a character called Six who we see different versions. 
But every time one of them dies, her essence or her experiences gets downloaded to another version of Six, who has all that information. So she's not really losing anything. If anything, they're still out there. Upgrade. Well, you consider an upgrade. But the thing is, she never really goes away. As long as the Borg exists, she's always part of the collective, no matter where it is. So I don't think that you can get rid of it like a ghost, you know, get a vacuum cleaner, suck it all up, and there's evil gone. I think she's just in every fabric of the Borg continuum. So, all right. So, uh, continuing with the Bravo list, they had number eight, Freddy Krueger, which I thought, okay, I will go with that just because I thought he was pretty, you know, scary being, you know, Anytime you fall asleep, you can't get it out of your nightmare that he was there waiting for you, and especially with that hand claw, um, which I had for Halloween. I thought that was he was a great character. I liked him a lot. Um, so, having said that, what's your number eight, Gene? My number eight. My number eight was Scar from Disney's The Lion King. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why. It's a clever thing, and it makes sense. The idea of evil affects others. Okay. Judgment. You know, you're supposed to be king of the king of the forest. Mm-hmm. You know, king of the animals. You misdirect. Okay. You know, yeah. and you affect all those around you. When Scar takes over, you know, uh, Simba runs off. The 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 all the animal kingdom falls in anarchy. Okay. And mm-hmm. because it's because of selfish reasons. That's you true. Know? On and the rain dry up, it's like the land rejects him. Yes. Because they said the land, the 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 rains have stopped coming. The herds have moved on. And I, again, the idea is Scar is intelligent. He knows things. He understands what he wants. He tries to get the hyenas to move in. And, and the, he unbalances the, the entire circle of life kind of thing. Okay. And he so. makes it all the more evil because he's the uncle. Yes. You know, it's not, it'd be different if he was just a stranger come over or something. Mm-hmm. But he's like the uncle. So they kind of instinctively trust him being the brother and everything. And here he goes and backstabs his own, kills his own brother, tries to kill his own nephew, yada, yada, yada. Right. Okay. That's my choice. Okay. Well, that's, that's a, within your definition, that's actually a good choice. I like that. Um, how about yours, Jen? Mine, oh, eight, is, to tell you the truth, I don't know the title of this character either. This one is from the movie Seven, which is, I know, it's supposed to be, a lot of people really like this movie, but I really hate it. Um, and it's Kevin Spacey's character, the villain, the one who's obsessed with the whole, um, this, the... Seven the, Sins? The Seven, seven Deadly Sins, sins. exactly, okay. Seven Deadly Sins. Because he wholly knew what he was doing, and he counted on it. And at the end, when he when he um, incurred the wrath of the the cop by killing his wife, an innocent who I'm sure had nothing to do with anything having to do with sins, but he killed her just for the same reason that he knew the wrath would make his the husband kill him, and therefore he would be able to get away with it because he wouldn't be able to to punish him. He would kill him outright quickly and. All of his sins would never be punished because he would never go to jail. Okay. And he knew what he was doing the entire time. And it was just really creepy as hell. Okay. And I, that's why I hate that movie. <laughs> okay. Well, with my number eight, keeping tradition alive with Star Trek, <laughs> I picked Khan from Star Trek Two. Khan! And Spacey. <laughs> Now, again, from my definition of I how... I spit upon you. Yeah, I spit upon you. No, the Sorry. <sighs> there was something about him that, you know, he was almost Kirk's equal, if not more superior in every respect. And he had that 
one moment almost taking out the Enterprise in the end of Star Trek II. If it wasn't for a Spock killing himself and sacrificing himself to get the ship fixed again, the Enterprise would have been away of the Dota, and so would have been Kirk. So that's what I thought that him as a villain was great because he was almost fulfilling what he went out to do was to destroy Kirk and everything around him. So I give, you know, props to Khan for doing much as he can. But unfortunately, like every story we've seen so far, that Anthem of Villain gets close to succeeding, somehow the hero comes in at the very end and, and saves the day. Foils. Foils. All well, right. I agree with that because mm-hmm. um, I didn't really think of Khan because I try to keep away from Star Trek as much as I can yeah, <laughs> because of you. Because of me, of course. Uh, but anyway, no, Khan is yeah, Khan is good because not only the fact that he's very intelligent and he's classically classically trained, and he knew the quotes, he knew the the stories, he he knows what to do. And the thing is, is that had they left him alone, nothing would have happened though, because if they would have left him alone and they would have made sure that um well they couldn't leave him alone because i think that's what started it yeah because when the other planet blew up and they could have killed his wife and everything like that when that the planet that they were living on became the desolate wasteland that it was right but in fairness he really can't blame kirk for doing that i just think that they were supposed to check on them they were supposed to come by and check on them they never did well i'm sure there's some some lackey to look at them from space so in any case you, I can tell he had all that animosity and when he had that moment to, to take out Kirk he took that opportunity and then jump on the Reliant and go to battle with the surprise because you know he knew where to hit them that, that's an important thing oh god <laughs> yes if anyone knows me more than my wife and my friend Jean I will quote everything that we can think of from Star Trek and everything else on yeah. the sci-fi Botany Bay yeah Botany Bay alright the penal colony in Australia. <laughs> Alright, uh, jumping to number seven. This one I thought it was a really bad cop out from Bravo was that they put Batman villains. Without having oh. to invest in like a single villain, they just lumped everything as Batman villains. And I thought that was just a really cheap way of putting someone in there like Penguin from the comic books, which I don't even care to say he's even a villain because he doesn't do anything except carry those gas-repellent uh, umbrellas. And then it didn't make well, sense because they're the only separated one. one of the, ga- one of the, uh, the villains as uh, their, uh, their number two. Yeah. Like, oh, well, the, just... penguin, the penguin in the movie was, was bad. He was much worse than the Yeah, comic but they, 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 they just the grouped them all together and then... Right, without having to be like pick out a, a, certain, a single okay, character, okay, true. you know, and ex- exposing him for what he is, that's one thing. But to just lump them all in there, it's just, you know, a real cop-out. Okay, let's do another one. Okay. Well, for me, I'm going to go with, oddly enough, uh, my choice is Bane Ooh. from Batman, uh, one of the villains, which I thought... He had that purpose. He had that drive. He did break the Batman by literally crushing his back in half. And I thought, to me, that was one of the best villains in a long time that I've seen Batman go against. Not because he had the brute strength, which ultimately had the demise for Batman, but the fact that he was smart enough to get all the villains from Arkham Asylum released and then have Batman put them all back into jail... And by at that time, he was so exhausted that Bane had an easy time of taking care of Batman altogether. So I thought, one, he was sure. brilliant in what he was trying to execute, and he set up what to do, and he was going to break the Batman, and he com- completed that. Now, as far as from that point on, with... Um, I'm 
blank in on his name, the Batman replacement. Azrael. Azrael, thank you. When he took over, that's a whole different issue. But I just think up to that point, Bane did exactly what he has accomplished, uh, what he set out to do, and he accomplished it well. So I, that's why I picked Bane as number seven for my list. So let's go with Gene. Uh, my number seven, I picked Loki. God of Lies. Oh, God. Oh, God of Mischief. Yes, because, you but, know... But not Loki from... The Marvel Comics? Not Dogma. Not, <laughs> not Matt Damon. No, Loki. Not, not that. No, the real Norse, Norse-bred Norse Loki. Right, the mythology and also Marvel Comics. Oh, just mix the two together, because I thought, you know, the God of Deception and Lies, that makes sense, yeah, that would be evil. Okay. That'd be a good one. So, just lying is evil? Well, well he also deception bred, is intense. He's but, he al- but he also bred evil. Because Loki's offspring was a Fenris wolf. Oh, I did not know that. Ah, that's because you don't read Norse mythology like I do. Well, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Memory gap. Keep going. <laughs> Knowledge okay. gap. Wee. Okay. So what's your number seven? My number seven was Skynet. Okay. Okay, oh, I tell okay. you guys I just cheated because I switched. <laughs> and I put Skynet in there because I wasn't thinking about Skynet at all as the ultimate evil. Because that's why I discounted Terminator and everything like that. But when you think about it, Skynet actually had it, you know, wanted to take over and destroy and everything. It had this, the purpose in mind. But That's why I didn't believe in the Terminator. Because to, to me, the Terminators were the drones. They were the lackeys. They were the thugs that you have in all the other movies. Skynet was the ultimate one who, would, who was controlling everything. But then here's my question, because I don't see Skynet as being evil as if... Because it... I don't know how the phrase is right. It evolved to yeah. consciousness, and it, it saw itself above humans. So I don't think necessarily it's an evil way of doing it because we're all looking at ourselves to be better than what we are right now. But yeah, but we don't think of ourselves as better than we are, and then destroy what's underneath us. At least not a re- not a not a good human would. Okay, not somebody who has good intentions. But forgive me, the idea here about this 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 thing that we're doing here mm-hmm. is to specifically pinpoint villains. That's yeah. a single person. Ideas are not villains. Like terrorists well, Skynet wasn't is not would an idea. Villainous, but the idea of terrorism is Well Skynet isn't Skynet is an entity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can you can go with it. I mean look at the, the matrix itself. You know, how supposedly the the war between men and humans uh man and humans. Sorry, between man and machine came to the point Better where humans. That the machines took over and we became subservient to the machines. All right, Jamie, you can Go laugh if we laugh. need to, because if we don't, it's like gas. <laughs> it's going to just keep on building up, and then boom. And we already lost we... one chair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have two left. So, and I think it's in essence that it kind of makes it kind of evil in itself because you know we always think we're always the top of the food chain, so to speak, and have someone above us. Such as like Skynet, I think is threatening our very existence. I think that in itself is worrisome. So I'll give her on that. Ha. Ha. <laughs> to my right. All right. So let's move on. Number six is Hannibal Lecter. So kind of keeping with uh, the horror theme with well, number Freddy. Number six on the. For villains is Hannibal oh, Lecter. For, for that list, oh, okay. Yeah, for, is Hannibal Lecter, which. I totally am agreeing with this, but actually he's up much higher on my list. And, and the reason why I liked him is because no, aside besides eating the people, I just think like when you have a character build up, 
because everything in, in the, the second Silence of the Lambs movie from Manhunter, they talked about he did this, he did that, he ate people. You don't believe that that someone like that can even do that. And the Jeffrey minute Dahmer. that he got one of the prison guards, you know, knocked out, and he handcuffed the other guard, and you can see the fear on his face coming because he know that he was going to eat his face off, and he did. So I just thought the fact that he had this this whole buildup and it had a payoff. I'm like, I can't believe he actually ate that guy's nose. And then, God forbid, if anyone's seen the third one, Hannibal, he had Ray Liotta <laughs> eat his own brain. I thought that that man is not beyond sick. He is just pure evil itself. And yet he has this perfect, serene, calm exterior about him that, like, if we go back to um, the Beauty and the Beast reference, I think that in itself is scary because at a moment he will snap and he will become that animal that's inside of him. But most of the time he has it on, under check. But and that's what I think that's most scary mm-hmm. is to have a kind of villain like that. That's true. He works with my kid in Spacey character. Yeah. The whole Hannibal Lecter thing. I didn't think about. I didn't even think about Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Jesus. So Gosh. who wants to go next? Well, let's go with you, Jim. Okay. Um, who was your number six? My number six was uh, Osmondians from. I think it's book. You never, you never say it out loud. Uh, from from Alan Moore's uh, 1986 Watchmen. Okay. The idea behind him, the reason I picked him, was you know he was the first villain who told his plan to the heroes, as villains generally do, and then the heroes don't get a chance to stop him. Mm-hmm. His plan of, of, of or whatever the idea was, of world domination would have you, or or terrorism had already happened 20 minutes ago. And I thought that is just. Evil. Mm-hmm. I, when I when I and read it, them. when I read it, based on your suggestion, I was really floored about how it all turned out. It's one thing to have heroes be no longer needed. It's another thing to create a reason to need heroes again. And he was the reason behind it with that with that scene in New York with everyone just like dead everywhere. I just thought that is really some, you know crap that he really did that I I just cannot believe a hero would take the steps just so he can feel needed again and go to such extremes. Mystery men. Yeah, you can say mystery men. I definitely would agree with that. But he, when he I first read Franken- uh, Frankenstein Casanova. Right. Just so he would have something to do. I know. But when I read that up. I'd never seen a superhero actually portrayed in that way, that he gets to betray him his his own code so to speak. And to create his own need, and it's basically kind of like syndrome, also. Because, Hal Jordan. Well, I haven't finished all the Hal Jordan's reason why he went crazy, so I, I can't really go into that area. But I, I know at the end he died. But there's a whole other mythos behind him, and which I'm going to have to continue reading. But um, what did you put down for your number six? Uh, Kurgan from the Highlander. Okay. He was of the original tribe that went after them, and. Um, 400 years ago and he's the one I mean he's the one who actually killed him first I believe he's the one who created him in Highlander it was kind of ironic he Mm -hmm. created his own enemy and then he basically followed him throughout history killing everybody he loves he killed the Sean Connery character who was his mentor he um, raped his wife Mm -hmm. he um, and he tried to kill his current girlfriend along with killing all of his other friends right and so he was basically relentless and consistent throughout the entire course of history. 
until finally he was after him. So um, I, that's the way I see it. It's like consistent evil. And I know it was kind of like a goal thing, you know, one focus, stuff like that. But, you know, th- there could have been so many other ways he could have done different things, you know. But no. he just wanted he just wanted them dead. Yeah, I, and I think he was a really a, a good, effective villain in, in the, the first Highlander movie. Not the subsequent ones, two, three. Uh, except in four, which is a different story altogether with... Adrian Paul coming in as the Highlander, which uh, that's a different podcast for another time to get into. But I thought of all the villains, Kurgan was the best one out of the lot, just because he had that drive to not so much take out uh, the Highlander to begin with, but to do the damage around him so he will feel more isolated. So mm-hmm. I think he was pretty effective in that. In that sense. It was like taunting him the whole time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let's see, my number. Six is, and this is only because of uh, watching Superman Returns. It's, it's Lex Luthor. Um, normally, I would not have put Lex Luthor on this list, or at least this high. Um, I've always liked him to begin with in the comics. I love Gene Hackman in Superman 1 and 2. Well, he made a farce uh, of him, though. Well, I like to see a side of him that we don't normally see in comics, and that's what I liked. And then, of course, there's Justice League, which had their own version of Lex Luthor, who was, you know, was running for president, which I, I love that and that ambition. But I think Kevin Spacey's uh, performance as Lex Luthor just really wobbed me over. Um, more so because it, you saw a side that it's kind of had the duality. You know, he has this calm persona on the outside, and yet in a moment's notice, he can snap to, re- to release his rage within him. And I, he did that effectively in a couple of scenes which I just like that's Kevin Spacey I love him for what he does and he brought justice to to Lex Luthor so yeah because the thing is Lex Luthor in the comics is in my opinion wholly evil mm-hmm. I have him on my list but much higher up because the thing is is that like all of these terrible things that he's done and in one of the comics he even went so far as to um, nullify the uh, powers of um, their firstborn okay the, the um, whatchamacallit, um, their son, Superman and Lois Lane's son, okay. by using red kryptonite. He yes. was exposed to, no, gold kryptonite, I think. I don't know who what kryptonite it was. Anyway, basically, he nullified the power to the child. And so the thing is, is that he's been, like, isolated, you know, he and then he proceeded to um, have the boy become isolated from his parents by telling him lies and giving him, you know, and goading him and becoming making him as his... His own little evil sidekick. Okay. Until he went so far as to actually kill his own sister. Um, he killed Lois when she was dying of cancer. He has been a total, total evil creature. Okay. All right. Let's go to number five with the Bravo list. And they said Green Goblin from Spider-Man 1 made the list. Yeah. I would say okay, I can go with it, but I would think more of the comics and not the not from the movies itself, just because I think it's hard to see of course William Dafoe behind the mask because the mask was just cool. Well it was fine, but you just couldn't see his acting behind it. <coughs> so there was a lot of gesturing going on and I thought it was okay. But to me I think the Green Goblin from the comics is would be more terrifying than it would be yeah, because, you know, the movie kind of reminds me of the Power Rangers. 
Yeah, Green Power Rangers, so. <laughs> like, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> All right. Well, for me, since I'm gonna go for this turn, uh, my top five, uh, also keeping with the DC universe here, uh, with Lex Luthor, I picked the Joker. Joker for me went up uh, a notch uh, basically because unlike Lex Luthor, which he plans to kill, Joker actually goes out and kills. And a couple of examples was with Jason Todd. And even though it was the fans that voted for to get rid of him, to get rid of Jason Todd, it's really, in the end, that's what the Joker did. He also shot uh, Batgirl, which now became Oracle. And I thought that in itself, being... I don't want to say a hands-on villain, but he is a hands-on villain. And not only psychotic, but he's willing to do the deed himself and not have henchmen to do it for him. So I think that makes it a little more terrifying than Lex Luthor, because even though they're, they have a certain side of them, Joker, yeah, Joker goes one step further and actually does it all. So, Jen, let's go with you, and what's your number five? My number five is, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, Victor Shaz. He's the serial killer off of the DC Comic Universe who um, make marks on himself every time he kills somebody. Mm, okay. He has, every single part of his body, except his head, is covered with lines. Because those count for every single person that he's killed. And so what series he's in? He's DC Comics. Vertigo he's in Arkham. Arkham, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, with the, the, the uh, was I'm not familiar with the character. Did he have certain marks? Like, was it like longer or shorter depending? No, on No, it's like it's basically like the way you would mark how many things you do. I'm notching about basically. Yeah, it's like one, two, three, right. crossover for five. Okay. you know that kind of thing. Okay. And the thing is, is that he has so many on him, he's actually running out of room. Jeez. Okay. They go everywhere. <coughs> yeah. Everywhere. He has them all over his body. Okay. Well, that's well, one character. I mean, I'm not sure about certain parts of his body. I'm not going to go there. But, but, he, but he has to be really happy about doing that to get the extra room. Anyway, moving on. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, Gene. My number five. Yes. Your number five. My number five. And my number five, I picked Magneto. Magneto. Cool. Mm. Yes. I picked that because, uh, well, let's say in the film, you know, he's always just trying to exterminate normal humans. Mm-hmm. Particularly, let's say, in X-Men 2, when he reverses the Cerebo situation and tries to kill all the humans. I thought, wow, that's really kind of messed up. I understand that mutants are different and they're in a minority situation, but to wipe out all humankind, Mm -hmm. that's um, pretty evil. The way I see it was nature versus nurture. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah, but the thing is, is that Magneto, unlike most of the other other type of villains... Mm had to spend time in a, con- a Jewish concentration camp during the Holocaust. Yes, I And I think that. that if he was left alone with his parents and things like that, he would have turned out fine. But the fact that he saw what the, you know, he saw the efforts of human depravity. Mm-hmm. And so I would think that would make anybody into a villain. Well, villains, if you understand them or you justify them, mm-hmm. the fact that they still do, do evil or bad to hurt yeah. against mankind is still a villain. Yeah, but I'm sure they probably did, you know, because they knew what kind of power he had. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they they created all sorts of interesting, interesting experiments for him. And if you know anything about the Holocaust, some of those experiments can be not something you want to talk about. Right. Not, no, I mean, especially not. Yeah. That in itself, you know, is a, a villainous in itself. So. Yeah. All right. 
let's go to number four. Bravo picks. Oh, we just talked about uh, for my number five. Actually, number six was Lux Luthor. So here again, Bravo did a couple of comparisons from the comics and from the Superman movies, which again, other reasons why I picked him. I definitely would put him. I don't think they'll be as high just because until I saw Kevin Spacey's performance, I wouldn't have put him maybe the lower t- lower ten for my choice. But because of Kev- uh, Spacey's performance, I think he definitely won me over as really a good villain. So I definitely agree with Lux with being at least in the top uh, ten category. So Gene, let's go with your number four. My number four was the Joker. I picked the Joker. the Joker. Okay. Yes. Okay. Any reasons other than anything that I did not mention or? Psychosis for this, for the fun of, for your own enjoyment and your own selfish needs, and because you're sick, and you enjoy the death, and you don't think it's real. That's pretty, uh, pretty villainous, pretty heinous. But would you uh, be more inclined that the Joker was more, I would say, villainous, but more evil in the comics as as it's been betrayed as far as Jack Nicholson? Uh, Comic books are always going to be a big old father in movies, I think. Although the portrayals of certain actors and performances are fine, mm-hmm. comics can continue and go deeper and darker. Remember, images right. speak louder than words, and the ideas, you know, you can pr- pr- um, convey through, through printed medium, I think, go a bit farther sometimes with comic books than, than uh, movies. Right. What was it, you, you said something uh, about, I think, the next uh, movie for the Batman series after Batman. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the frontrunner at this time Currently in July 2006 <laughs> is Robin Williams for the Joker in the sequel to Batman Begins. But we don't know what will happen. We'll mm. Keep track of that. I, I can definitely see Williams being Joker, but I think him in itself will probably steal the movie and and kind of outshine Batman like yeah. having like Jack he, Nicholson did with Michael Keaton. He'd be better as a Riddler if they're going to do it because Riddler is always coming up with some kind of in, insane notions. And whatnot. Okay. But I don't know. So, what was your uh, number four? My number four is Professor Snipes from Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. You should have guessed that. Um, <laughs> that I should have known. And the thing is, is that um, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't. Even though, like, I'm not really following the movies anymore. I'm following the books. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sorry. You know, I said Professor Snipes. It's Nick Snapes. No wonder why it never sounded right. I could never, you know, because I couldn't remember his first name. But it's like, I was, you know, I was getting his last name wrong. Snape. Snape. Um, and basically, if you read the books, the last book, Half-Blood Prince, explains exactly why he's number four on my list. I'm not going to get into it because you haven't read it yet. It's and the movies haven't come out yet. They're only, uh, what number are they on <laughs> the movies? Number f- they're, they're filming number five currently. They're filming number f- okay, so they're, they're filming number five. So you haven't got, that's Order of the Phoenix, right? Yeah, so since they haven't gotten to that point yet, I can't tell you why. I'll, I'll just wait for the cliff notes because they're just too damn long. Yeah. <laughs> it's All right, well. I'll put it in comic book form for you. Oh, that would be kind of cool. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> like we always say here, let's move on. Yes. I know where you live. <laughs> to the right. Three, four, and. All right. My number four. I'm going to try to do my best impression. Hello, Mr. Anderson. Is Mr. Uh, Agent Smith, <coughs> and I. <coughs> sorry, great. It's moving. That's good. I'm oh, sorry. Um, I just love him just because of him saying Mr. Anderson. Why, hello, Mr. Just, Anderson. 
it's just so purely evil that I love the way he has this distaste for humans in that voice. You can hear the disgust of having to work with, you know, everyone that he, on, on our level. Do you exact, smell it? Like a zoo, you know? And and the fact that, of course, you know, he came to multiple Smiths at the end of Revolution was a little too much. But I just think himself, as a character, was a good equal to Neil. Who again, almost won, and literally, practically for the very beginning or the very end, he did have that moment which he was standing there. It's like, okay, I stand here and and you're there, <laughs> and it was just like this was done before, and it's just like he had that moment that he could have easily won over Neil until you know the very end, Neil won. But I just think, again, going back to my definition of a, of a villain is that. He has a plan to to win at the very end, and comes very close to fulfilling his own destiny. And you know, one day I'm sure there will be a villain out there that the hero does not win. I mean, the hero does. I'm sorry, the hero does not win, but that the villain succeeds at the end. But I thought he was pretty good as far as getting that much closer to the very end of that. So I mean, him controlling the whole matrix, I thought that was pretty cool. So moving on with that, number three that Bravo did was the Terminator. Uh, this is going that's for the the second you know T thousand or the the T three sequel, but actually the T eight hundred, the original Terminator was the actual villain. I think it's pretty scary that you can remember like their little codes. Well, I, I'm blanking out on the the last uh, Terminator code okay. because well, it doesn't matter. Well, it, to me, it didn't really matter but, the third one because it yeah, was just the third one should look like Dharma from Dharma and Greg anyway. Exactly. So I can't trust it. But. So. I wasn't really caring about how she looked in the face wise anyway. Oh, she was fine. naked most of the time. So. Wife. Yeah, yeah, Whoa. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, podcast well, with wife. <laughs> thank you. <coughs> so, but in any case, Robert picked number three, which, okay, I'll Weird go with that, with the, with the Terminator. Okay. Um, Gene, what was your number three? My number three was Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor, okay. Yeah. Lex Luthor? Lex Luthor. It's not like Luthor. Millions of people are going <laughs> to die. Oh, yeah. Millions of people are going to die. Well. Your own capitalistic goals. That's evil. Yep. Okay. Any other nope, that's points it. with this? Okay. Yes. So we're, we're getting close to our, our goal. What was uh, number three? My number three was Anakin Skywalker. Okay. Not Darth Vader, because Darth Vader, to me, is a different person. Anakin okay. Skywalker, before he became Vader, was more purely evil to me. Only because he killed all the babies. All the younglings. He killed all the younglings, all the little Padawans, all the <laughs> babies in there. The How can you kill the little babies? That to me, that's just pure evil to do that. Yeah. Once he was Darth Vader, he kind of he kind of mellowed out. <laughs> you know, you got the platform yeah. shoes going on, got the Darth Dark helmet. You know, batteries yeah. that don't work in your life. Yeah, exactly. He had, <laughs> you know, he could feel skin falling off. He had more important things to think about. Yeah. I think that he's more machine than man now. Yeah, <laughs> there was that one scene in Revenge of the Sith which really got to me, and the the young Jedi's are hiding out, and here comes Anakin, and. The minute he lights that lightsaber, they get scared, and I felt really bad for them <laughs> because they could have been slaughtered at any second after that point. But it's like, you know, didn't have to show anything, and just him igniting his lightsaber, you, you, you can just feel what he had to do, and he committed that that act. That, the heinous act. Uh, it was just really, wow. I just, to me, you don't even need to eat someone's face off to be that scary, but. For him just doing that one act and knowing what he was going to be doing with all the Jedi's and slaughtering them, the fact that he did it to children 
that I thought yeah. was really I mean, because some of the stuff could have been done by the Emperor sending them out to kill the other Jedi. Right, or to be shot by the troopers. But or... to actually physically go into that room and kill the little babies. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's, ugh. Okay. okay. So, Gene, what was your number three? Uh, I gave my number three. Oh, okay. oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to put a hold on this. I'm sorry. Hold on. All right, continuing. Uh, my number three from Superman 2 was actually General Zod. And here I thought he definitely made my list, not because he was as scary or psychotic as like the Joker or Lex Luthor. I just thought he was on equal par fighting out uh, Superman in the movie. And I thought, uh, except for the very end in which you know the powers were switched out, that Zod was really going to be the leader of the, the free world, so to speak. So, Except the fact that he wore women's lingerie. But he's British. He's okay. He's allowed to, he's allowed to do that. So Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, going to number two, Bravo picked the Joker, which we already talked about. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also a good choice. Uh, what was your number two, Jen? Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. Okay. So at least we're, we're actually kind of getting close to our, our list. Evil but. knows evil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and Mr. Jean's number two? Uh, my number two is Emperor Palpatine. Okay. From ah. the Star Wars series. Okay. And, you know, from the minute you see him for an episode, uh, well, we, we glimpse him in episode, mm-hmm. I think, number five. Right. Briefly, and then going back to the prequels, mm-hmm. he manipulates. He has Constantly. it all planned from the beginning, and he lives through all, nearly all mm-hmm. six movies. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. makes the universe an unpleasant place to live in. Yes. Okay. Quite true. And it turned out, have you read any of these sequel books, like Trusa Bakura, things like that? Oh, because you know what they did, they cloned him. Mm, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Okay. He wore a robe, it was blue, that was red. Oh, yes. yes I, remember I remember it, it well. well. Okay. All right. That's pretty now scary. <laughs> and yet, how many of you actually seen Gigi? All right. Uh, no. No, except for, except for the, the, the box on my TV. We're uh, going for number one. Well, real quick, my number two is Hannibal Lecter. But we already discussed that. All right, so number one that Bravo picked was Darth Vader, which I'm sure none of us agreed was going to be our number one. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no. He's a pawn. That's, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> Bravo, I don't know if they actually thought about it when they created this list or they just created it off popular culture yeah. or whether they just chose Doc Ock because they had the really cool photo opportunity from the movie. You know, that's the whole thing. It's like this list is very questionable. You yeah, know, the, the idea behind it is kind of cool. But the actual, cho- what they chose, I mean, you know, that's the thing. See, they had the opportunity, they had the pictures, they had, you know, the photo ops, that kind of thing. You know, and, you know, Darth Vader is the biggest, impo- you know, physical imposing creature around. Oh, he's a, he's a movie icon, but... And he's con- all in black. But considering how much he's Well, considering how much we know of him and his history, he, he's now become <clears throat> more of a... Uh, a sad character because you know he wasn't once good and he was just led down the wrong path. He wasn't yeah. just born evil like Damien would be. Exactly. But, and you, know. you never really see him kill anybody except his own people. <coughs> so it's like, hey, good, he killed another general. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, All yes. right. So, Gene, what was your number one? <laughs> My number one was Satan. Satan. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that. All right. So that's the end of the podcast. So, of course, Satan wins all because that's how the podcast ended. So, Mr. Gene and Satan made a pact and killed the rest of the podcast. But honestly, 
as I mentioned before, it's not that very much that was missing to begin with. But I'm very happy to have at least recovered as much as I did from my episode number zero podcast. So again, I'm hoping that this will inspire you to follow your passions and to continue it for not just a couple of days out of the week or maybe a couple of years, but really dedicate yourself to becoming a professional in that field, whatever that is. You know, the old saying that it takes at least 10,000 hours to become a professional or an expert in that field. Over 12 years, I've put in a lot of time trying to get my point across and I'm still learning. I'm not sure I'm going to be there anytime soon, but I've been at this for quite some time and because I'm a geek and I'm a nerd and I love talking about this stuff and I've done this pretty much all my life, I'm just now using a podcast to deliver all this to you. I'm able to find that avenue to kind of branch out and continue what I love to do. So I hope that you, whatever that may be, get inspired to pursue your passions in life. So that's all that I can say. And that's all I'm going to say, because that's all I'm going to say. But I'm still saying it. So on that note, please let me know what your thoughts were about episode zero email me at monstersci-fi-show at gmail.com follow me on the various social networks and again thank you for listening to me and to my episode number zero at podcast for the monster sci-fi show it's sci-fi from a certain point of view good night this has been a broadcast of the ESO network Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the TeePublic store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.